Uh, we've been making our journey through the book of Ephesians. And last week, we started something that I'm going to look forward to getting into. But I had to put the brakes on because I felt like I felt just a check in, in my spirit. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6 if you want to turn there. Um, this book is a, a treasure trove to me. I find myself, even in getting to chapter 6, which is the last chapter in the book, just keep seeing signposts now back to things that we've been through from the beginning of this book. And uh, if there's, I said this last week, but if there's ever a book that you want to study to just kind of get an overview of what God intended for his people, it talks about what he, what he did for us to begin with, and it talks about about where we are right now, and then it comes back in at the latter part, and it, it speaks to challenges, things that we need to change in our lives, things that we need to set in place in order to be able to carry out God's purposes in the earth, to be God's people in the earth. And so it's a, a, a masterful book. It's not necessary. Uh, the sentences are long, so sometimes they can get entangled, and you just kind of have to sit there and work on them and understand them and, and some of the... the, the the, uh, especially your first time reading it. But it's a book that I've spent a lot of time with and, and just really love. And so I've been enjoying taking time to go through it. Last week we got to a portion of the book uh, beginning in verse 10 where it starts talking about spiritual warfare. It starts talking about how to overcome the enemy and things that have been given to us so that we can overcome the forces of evil that we might come up against. And I'm looking forward to getting in there and spending some time with that. So I'm going to read a few verses, but then I'm going to come back to verse 10 that we spent a lot of time focused on last week and emphasize a piece of that that I feel like we missed emphasizing but is key to our victory. Is that all right? So um, there are aspects of this that if you're not familiar with Scripture and you're not familiar with with biblical teaching, some of this is going to sound really out there. But there are a lot of things in Scripture that help back this up. But anyhow, verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes, the devil's methods. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul, who is the, the author of this book, by the inspiration of the Lord, begins introducing an aspect of spiritual warfare to us. And uh, that is a strange subject to a lot of people in this nation specifically uh, because we are educated and elevated. A lot of times we don't recognize uh, spiritual warfare Though if you travel around the world to other nations, a lot of times that is so common in their culture and a lot of their depictions of, of, of cultural art and things like that reflect upon the fact of, of, uh, that they recognize spiritual warfare. Um, my intention today is not spend a whole lot of time getting into that. But last week we spent a lot of time in verse chapter 10 where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And we talked about there's basically three words there that are emphasizing words of strength. The word be strong, then it talks about his mighty, and then it says power. And as we went through that, you know, our focus can be on 
our education and our understanding of God's word and God's promises and our, and our focus can be on how much time we've spent with the Lord and the experiences that we've had, what we know, the experiences we've had, our confidence can be built up in, in all the teachings that have been out there. And we can get so caught up in all of that that I think we miss a vital part of this. And I wanted to make sure that, that what we were teaching with regards to provision and principle and, and pieces did not miss the most important part. And that is, and I want to spend time on it today, it says here, finally be strong. And then that next phrase, in the Lord. Because our spiritual strength and our spiritual authority is not based on what we know. It's based on who we know. It's based on who we represent. And this little phrase that we have here that says, in the Lord, I want us to take some time to just spend some time with that because when I started looking at it, started spending some time with it, and folks are saying, is he going to spend the whole sermon on that? But that little word in there is not just location. The word in there, which is literally in the Greek, en, in, but the word in there is speaking about being fixed, being established, being set, as in it is a done deal. You are in the Lord. It is not just that I am in the Lord as far as location, but you are fixed in Him. You are cemented to Him. You are joined with Him. You are, are one with Him in this, in this purpose and plan of God. I felt like I, I went through and I preached last week and I, I came away. I was very impassioned when I was preaching. And then I came away and I thought, Lord, what is missing? I feel like there's something missing. What is there missing? And I remember years ago, I went over to Africa when I was 23 years of age. And I wanted to go over there and, and preach about the gifts of the Spirit and the, the power of God, the demonstration of, of God's power. And, and uh, the Lord very plainly spoke to me. I could take you right to where I was, up on a balcony this one night. And the Lord spoke to me and said... None of that means anything unless you get the core thing, and that is that you have, to be, you have to understand authority and you have to understand lordship. In other words, what good does it do to go out and do miraculous signs and, and uh, even manifest gifts of the Spirit to see the power of God demonstrated if it's not under the lordship unless he's getting, getting uh, glorification, unless, unless it's a demonstration so that he is lifted up. If all we're doing is taking God's power and, and God's anointing and we're going out there and using the gifts of the Spirit so that we're getting puffed up and so we're building esteem for ourselves, look, anything that we do, we need to make sure that He's the one that's being exalted. It's not so that we're lifted up or that somehow people are drawn to us and that we want a, a crowd of people to come so that they can acknowledge your strength or your ability or anything like that. Anything that we do, should be to lift him up. That's how come Paul could have this spiritual resolve that he's going to... When Paul was traveling around to all the, the churches in Asia Minor and, and going through the Roman world and sharing the gospel about Jesus, it wasn't self-promotion. If it was self-promotion, he was missing a few things because he traveled to places and they, 
literally stoned him until they left him for dead. There are places where he was imprisoned. That doesn't self -like, sound like self-promotion. He was beaten. He was ridiculed and chased out of some towns. But yet he continued. Why? Because his purpose was all wrapped up in the Lord. His identity was wrapped up in Christ. He knew that he had a new identity. And it's important that as we begin to share our faith, it's not because we don't share our faith because all of a sudden we no longer have uh, concern about being embarrassed or we, we are no longer, all of a sudden we're not without uh, being shy. But folks, all of a sudden the mission becomes more important than, than anything that's affecting us. As long as we allow excuses or we allow um, obstacles to get in the way of our fulfilling our mission, the enemy will be more than willing to provide an obstacle. As long as we allow an excuse. John, when you're over there in the military and you get sent on a mission, how, how, how glad are they for you to just say, I've got an excuse, I can't do it? It doesn't work. You're given a mission. You overcome the obstacles that are out there. Paul talks to us and describes us as, as we are a part of the army of God. God's given us a mission. Are we going to report back to headquarters and say, but God, you know I'm not really good at speaking in front of people. God, you know I'm a little shy when it comes to this. When God gives us an opportunity, we shouldn't draw back and, and allow the excuses to be obstacles to keep us from fulfilling what God's calls us, calls us to do. In this passage, he's challenging us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's not saying, you know, like Moses, Moses said to God, but God, you know, I, I can't really speak in public too good. If I were to sit and ask how many of us are, are happy to speak publicly, I'd probably get a, if I were to say how many people are volunteering to speak in front of everybody next week, we'd probably have more people that are not willing to speak. than, than what, Well, what if God gave you an opportunity? Are we willing to step out of ourselves and step into him and allow him to work through us? Look. It is probably more common for us to be able to identify weaknesses in our lives than it is to be able to say, I'm fully equipped for everything that needs to happen. And, and, and. But when we discover an area of weakness in our life, and even though we know that we have a weakness, God has given an opportunity, or God's opened a door for us, God's intent is to be able to equip us and to give us the resources that we need to be able to succeed in that opportunity. Paul says, in my weakness, he is made strong. So I'm going to encourage you with something. I'm going to challenge you with something. <clears throat> Don't allow your weaknesses to keep you from the vital things that God is calling you to do in your life. Don't miss the opportunity to depend on the equipping of the Lord. When we step beyond what's comfortable to us, there's always an excuse. But when we step beyond what is uncomfortable to us and step into a place of total dependence on Him, 
That's when we get to discover victory. How many, you know, I think of, I, I can't help but think of young David in the Bible and how this huge giant's out there, a man of war. And, and David at that point was not a man of war. He was a sheep herder. Now, a shepherd, yeah. He had killed a lion and a bear in his duties. That's pretty awesome. Killing a lion and a bear. But it's not a giant with a sword and a spear. A huge spear. I don't remember the weight of it, but it's recorded in the Bible. And this giant's out there blasting out profanities and, and attacks against the Lord and, and all the army of Israel's out there camped on one hillside. The Philistines are camped on the other side. And every day this giant comes down and you think your God can protect you against us and just demoralizing the children of Israel. And you know what gets me every time to realize this? <clears throat> the children of Israel were camped up there. They were all equipped for war. They had everything they needed to go to battle, but they were maintaining their peace over there. The Philistines were over here on this side, and even though the battle wasn't raging, the, the Philistines were already on Israelites' territory. As the body of Christ... We've been equipped with all kinds of resources to be able to do battle on the Lord's behalf, to establish things the way they need to be established, to be a, a moral direction and a guide for our, our families and our communities and be, be a light in our schools to do the right thing where we see the wrong things not being done. And a lot of times, the body of Christ, we tend to stand back and talk about what the enemy's doing, and we'll look over there and, and point at what's going wrong and what needs to be changed, but are we willing to step out and do something about it? Isn't it easier to talk about the problems than it is to do something about it? And here, with this mighty army of Israel up there, the king is present, all of his commanders are present, nobody is going out there to challenge this Goliath. And it takes a young boy to come along. Look, I've never fought a giant. But God has given me the ability with a lion and a bear. And you're def defaming our God. You're insulting our God. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed you to the vultures. Somebody has got to be willing to step up. Somebody has got to be willing to do something about the things that are going wrong. When we see people that are struggling in our society, when we see people that are, are caught up in, in, in drug addiction, who's going to step out and do something? Is that a government program that's supposed to solve that? Does it solve it? They do their best to help, but they can't heal the heart. What is it that drives someone to addiction? Sometimes it's physical pain that someone gets caught up in an, an, an addiction because the, the opioids help soothe that pain. Sometimes there's emotional struggles that people are going through. There's so much brokenness and hurt and heartache that chemicals are never intended to cure. They treat, but they don't cure. But God can heal the broken heart. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it goes on and says, and he restores the soul. He restores the soul of man. Men were intended to be in relationship with the Lord. But folks, the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis, 
Even the people that we love the most can hurt you the hardest sometimes. But folks, even though this may seem contrary to some, but those people that are surrounding us are never intended to complete us. I know that kind of dashes the romantic aspect of things. I need you, Cecile, to complete me. That means everything that I have lacking or undone in my life, you have to be the perfect match to make that up. No pressure at all, right? And likewise, I expect to be 100% because you're there in my life and everything that I've not been able to fix or, or put together until this point, I expect you to be my perfect complement so that we can both be 100% in life. That's an unrealistic ex expectation. Let's just say this. Look... I'm going to do my best, but I'm not perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect either. But I'm committing myself to walking out this journey with you, so let's just get better as we walk through life. Okay? We put unrealistic expectations. Don't think that that person that you're coming together with is going to complete you. They can be a companion with you. They can be a help meet to you. They can walk through the journey of life, the good, the bad, the ugly. But there's only one that's intended to complete you, and that is that we are supposed to be in a relationship with God, and God promises great and abundant things to us when we are in relationship with Him. I started and went back in and started doing a study of the scriptures that talk about in the Lord and in Christ and being joined together with Him, and it was just completely overwhelming. So I did not go through and complete all of that. I decided I'd come back just to the book of Ephesians. So would you turn with me in the book of Ephesians? If you are a believer in the Lord, and all of a sudden that you discover, come to the reality that you are in Christ or that you are in the Lord. Again, it's not location but it is that you are joined that you are connected with him that you are one with him in the purpose and plan that that there is a belonging there that you're knit together with him that's your identity you know it's a big thing in in street gang culture that you got your colors motorcycle culture used to be you got your you got your colors that you wore and do you wear certain things to identify what group you're a part of? And, and in certain areas of town, if you wear the wrong colors, you can end up dead because you got the wrong color, colors on. Well, let me just say this. If you're a believer, you've got colors. Your identity should be in the Lord. I need to go back and read. I, I said Ephesians, but I do need to read. Let's go to, to 2 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Such a familiar scripture to us. But I want you to see it in a new light. There are so many scriptures when you get to reading that talk about being in Christ or being in the Lord. And uh, some of them are not specifically looking at it the way we're looking at it today. Some of them are talking about lo location or, or, or different type of things. But this scripture, let's look at it again. It says, therefore... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right? So you're connected with, you're joined together with. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I love that. 
The old is gone and the new has come. This is a declaration. It's not saying that one day the new will come. But if you have believed on Jesus Christ, if you have started that new relationship with him, if, that's been, if that has begun in your life, it's saying that, look, you are in him. You've been joined together with him. Your whole life now is wrapped around that relationship and, and that environment and that purpose and plan. And, and from that point, you are a new creation spiritually, legally. You're no longer that old person with all those, those old things that you were indebted to. Those old sins are a part of who you are. You may still be able to look, up, look back and other people may dig up your history, but if you're in Christ, that's your past. That's no longer who you are. In Christ, you've been made a new creation. It's as though you just began to exist. When I was looking this up, talking about the new creation, it, it's like it, it, it's describing something that's never been created, but it's a brand new, almost like a brand new invention, something that's never even existed before, and now it exists in your own unique kind of way, your own intentional purpose in the Lord that, that when you believe in Christ and when you receive Him as your Savior, all of a sudden you have begun a new journey as a brand new creation. Something that's never existed before. It's the same type of thing, that, the same type of uh, mindset that's described of in Genesis 1 when God is creating the heavens and the earth, when God's creating the stars in the sky, that there's this new initiation of life, which is your journey with the Lord. When you're in Christ, old things have passed away. They don't exist anymore. All things have become new. Last night I saw this little brief video, and this person was taking this jewelry. I mean, it would look like 24-karat gold. It was rich, colored, and I don't know why. I don't know what the process was. I wondered if it had been stolen. But they had this little melting pot that was heated. You could see a red down there. They were just taking this jewelry and stuffing it down in there. and just I mean, it was a, a, like a bucket of jewelry. They kept sticking this beautiful jewelry and stuffing it down in there and it was just melting and i'm thinking but that's art you know that the, the things that they're sticking rings and necklaces and 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 earrings and all, they're just stuffing it down there just melting away why the intent was they were going to make something new the old there was no more shape or form or anything that it used to be these things were going to be crafted into something new and great and there was a, a new design for, for that gold that was being melted down. And God, when we come into a relationship with Him, it's not that the purpose that God had for us existed from the beginning. But what God's doing, He's taking the raw material of our life and He's beginning to work with us to perfect us, to be able to create in us what He's always desired. He knows what the resources of our life are best designed for, and he's beginning to work that out. You know, speaking about being in Christ, we used to sing old songs in the church, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, Let Me Hide Myself in Thee. There was also one that we sang not too long ago, but it's still a few years back now. But in Christ alone, I place my trust. 
If you are in Christ, if you're connected with Christ, and you're still wrestling with an idea of identity as though somehow you're excluded from the purposes of God or somehow somebody else is better suited for what God needs done or maybe the blessings of the Lord are for somebody else and you still feel like you are on the outside looking through the window of what God's doing and somehow you're not as good as, you're not as worthy of, Maybe it works for everybody else. It just doesn't seem to work for me. I want to tell you, that's the wrong perspective. Because when you're in him, and this scripture talks about being in him at the initiation of our relationship, that when you began the journey with Jesus, you are just, it is, at that point, it is final. You're in. It's, you're connected. You are a part of. It may be that there's still things that need to be worked in and worked out of your life. But you're not on the outside looking in. You're not trying to get accepted by the Lord. You have been accepted by the Lord. You are already in the relationship with the Lord. It's not a one-day thing. It is a present reality. So I just want to say, with regards to your inclusion in the family of God, with regards to your inclusion into the purposes of God, you're already in. So any thought that makes you feel like maybe you're not measuring up, would you just banish that thought and accept the journey and say, God, I may not be perfect. There may be areas where I'm still, we're still having to work on it, but I'm in you. I've already got my colors. I may be learning how to ride, <laughs> but I've got my colors. I'm with you, Lord. I'm in you. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1 now. And we just take, because understanding our strength that's dependent on that relationship, understanding our security that's dependent upon that relationship, understanding our provision that's dependent upon that relationship, understanding our identity as believers that's wrapped up in that relationship with Him, and understanding the authority that He intends for us to walk in it's wrapped up in that relationship with him. Don't expect to impress the enemy because your name is David List. But if you're in Christ and you come in the authority of that relationship, I represent Jesus. When I speak his name, it's not just the name. But it makes the enemy's gates tremble. It shakes the foundations of the earth. Because in Christ I stand. Amen? Look, it, just in Ephesians, when Paul's writing to the Ephesians, look at the emphasis right here. He starts out in verse 1. He says, to all the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Look at verse 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. God knew us. God chose us. God is intention towards us. In him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How are we, how are we holy and blameless? In him. It's not because I'm perfect. It's not because I'm that good. 
But in him, I'm holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his, the, with his pleasure and will. <clears throat> in verse 6, it says that his glorious grace was freely given to us in the one he loves. So through Christ again, his glorious grace and goodness was given to us. It says in him, verse 7, again, in him, we have received redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of the grace that he's lavished of it. So, I mean, it says in him we've received redemption, we've received forgiveness, and then it says his grace has lavished on us wisdom and knowledge. And we're, we've come to an understanding of his will, what he's putting in place. We're coming to an understanding of what God's purpose and plan is for all of creation. And that is, look at verse 10, that, that he is going to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Verse 11, again, he says, in him we were chosen. Verse 12, we put our hope in him. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Being in him, we received a seal. That seal is not a, a stamp or a tattoo or a branding or something like that, but we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've heard of, of tribes when they made treaties between other treaties that rather than signing a piece of paper because they didn't sign pieces of paper or, or things like that, that some tribes, when they would seal the deal, they would ex actually take one of the chief's children and let that child go and live with that other tribe to say, look, as long as this child lives, we're going to have this peace treaty. And they would trade children between the two tribes like that. When we had peace with, with God, God sent a promise in the form of the Holy Spirit. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to come and dwell with us. Scripture says that he won't just dwell alongside us, but actually dwell inside of us, and that he's the guarantee of our salvation. How? Because he guides us. He whispers in the ear of our heart and tells us what we should or should not do. He gives us direction. Scripture also lets us know that he came to empower us to do the work of the Lord. We're familiar with that. That's not anything new to us. But in him, we were given a seal of the Holy Spirit. He goes on. Verse 14. He's the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So we've received a guarantee of our inheritance until that final day of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So God's given us an inheritance in him. Verse 6 of chapter 2. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show 
the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Can we just back up just a little bit? It says that in Christ, we've been raised up with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. Why? Because God wants us to be in demonstration of his goodness and his grace and his kindness. People see our lives. I trust what they're seeing and the way that we're representing the Lord, that what people see in us is goodness. Talks about in the other passage that we be blameless. What kind of representation are we for the Lord? Are we blameless? Do people see goodness? Do people see, as we're continuing this journey with the Lord, are they seeing transition happening in our lives as we move from that old man to becoming that new man? Legal, we are already the new man, but there may be aspects of our character and our nature and our conversation aspects of our behavior that need to change as we walk this journey so that we do bring glory to the lord and it says in verse 10 for we are god's workmanship god's masterpiece literally we are his masterpiece created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do we are God's workmanship. And I've talked about this, but I'm going to touch it again. Believers, let me just say this to you. <clears throat> In Christ, part of our mission, part of our obligation of love is that we are a demonstration of what our Lord is like. We're a demonstration of what He has done in our life. The areas where his chisel has taken off a hard place from our life. What was just a block, he saw something good in us and he began to chisel away. There are statues around the world in well-known museums that today people look at and say, oh, that's a Michelangelo. Or that, I'm, I'm subject to get wrong names with wrong statues, so y'all just, let's go with the flow, okay? But they could look at that, oh, I know that statue. That statue was created by, and there's an artist's name, a sculptor's name that goes along with it. There's a painting, and they say, that's a Rembrandt. You know, different artists have painted beautiful paintings, and we can look at them and say, oh, we know who painted that. We see you know, experts can look at a, a masterpiece and say that the brush strokes belong to this artist. They can say, that's a fake. That's not the real thing. But they can look at the brush strokes on certain paintings or the, the design of certain sculptures. They can look at buildings that have been built by certain, certain architects, and they can tell who the master craftsman was, who the designer was, by what's represented there. This passage says that we are his workmanship, that we are his masterpiece. Can people look at our lives and see the master's hand? Can they identify in our lives the work of the Lord? Can they hear in the way that we speak to them that there's something different about that person? We're in him. 
He's in us. But his intention is that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that we were prepared in advance for. We were, God's intention was that we were made to do these things. We were created to do these things. We were put in the earth to accomplish those things for the Lord. And as without taking any more time and going through more scriptures and continuing on this journey and I just chose to focus on the book of Ephesians because it was overwhelming when I started studying started going through passage after passage that talked about that relationship that we have and that when we're joined together with him what how that initiates certain things in our lives but the passage that we will be continuing to look at in Ephesians chapter 6 said be strong be fixed be set in this. When it comes to doing the works of the Lord, don't waver in your commitment. Don't waver in your understanding of who you are and whose you are. Don't back up and think that there must be somebody else. Be strong. Be resolute. Be determined. The middle name, my middle name is William. The name William, anybody else, William, you got a, Bill, William, Bill, Bill back there. The name William, Wilhelm is where it comes from, but Wilhelm literally means, it's the term that's used for a helmet, but it literally means resolute guardian, one who is a protector, sometimes translated as protect, but it really speaks of Someone who is, has such resolve in their life that they're determined they will not back up. They are a guardian. They're set in place, and they will not bow. They won't bend. They are determined. They will go forward. They can be depended on that they will not in any way give in. They are a resolute guardian, Wilhelm, William. And that's the way we need to be with regards to our stance in the Lord. Don't bend because people's opinion try to bend you. Don't back up and hide when there needs to be a voice somebody speaking what's right don't turn around and look for someone else thinking about teachers going into schools you know what a commitment all the work that goes just into preparation for the lesson and you there to teach these kids with great anticipation that somehow you're going to have a positive influence on their lives you're passing information onto them and then you get in the classroom and you find that these kids lives are in turmoil they're coming from broken places and their families are going through difficulty they're losing jobs or they're having financial troubles or there's abuse that the kids are dealing with and there's so many multiplied different areas and the teachers there to teach not necessarily to deal with all the conflict that the child's going through but what you end up doing is stepping in and trying to help to the best of your ability just to support and to strengthen and to pray for. Why? Because there's something more on the inside. It's not just about a job, but there's a calling to be able to do something. There's a determination to help. What is it that causes a soldier to go off into battle and you get into a firefight and the enemy you you may be trying to do good trying to establish justice trying to route an enemy and you get into a situation all of a sudden there's a firefight and a grenade 
comes flying your direction and you realize that you're the only one seeing that people's lives are at stake and somebody looks at that grenade and they say, I'll take the grenade. And they fall on the grenade in order to spare the lives of their companions. It's a, a commitment to the welfare of all those around that you love. What causes someone to be willing to go into harm's way in order to change a, circumstances or a, a, a circumstance or a situation for the good of other people? We have a call and a commitment as the people of God. What causes someone of royal birth who is committed and has a throne that they can sit on to look down and somehow be compassionate on the impoverished and the broken and the hurting and the desperate to, to, to leave a, a place of comfort and to be able to to, to leave that place and to reach out and go down and walk among people that don't deserve to have any kind of compassion and don't deserve to have any kind of goodwill, to leave a, a, high, a high position and, and to give up everything in order to give all to be able to change people's lives. That's what Jesus did for us. But folks, that same heart that was in him we're told in Scripture that we are in him, that we're connected to him, that we're joined to him. Body of Christ, if I, 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 I'm praying, God, stir us up that we don't have this, this spectator attitude when it comes to the needs of the world around us. That we're not willing to just talk about what's going on over there or talk about what's happening in our neighborhoods or talking about what's happening over the street, across the street from us. We're not called to be spectators. We're not called to just talk about all the evil that's in the world. Believe it or not, we have been infused with an anointing and a power to be able to do something about it. But what does it take to ignite that in us, to stir that in us, to be actually willing to get out there and maybe be inconvenienced or step beyond our own sense of insecurity, step beyond our discomfort or embarrassment and move beyond that and to take on the challenges of the world? Nothing is going to change if we're looking for politics to change it. Nothing is going to change if we're waiting for a government program. It may medicate it, it may be a bomb over it, it may extend it, it may give them another week or another month or another year, but it's not changing the situation. But we who've received the giftings and anointings of the kingdom of God, it's been placed in our hands to do, not to talk about. We're in Him. And with that being in Him, we've also been given the anointing. We've been given the power to be able to do something about it. That's why the writer here in Ephesians chapter 6 can say, finally, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in Him and in His mighty power. Put on the armor of God. It's not for defensive purposes. Ralph said it, and I'll say it again. When he said, the Lord said, I will build my church. Was it Mike? One of y'all. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
We look at that and we're like, oh, thank the Lord. Those gates are not going to prevail against us. Gates don't prevail. Gates don't prevail. They're a static thing. They're a defensive terror. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That means that we're storming the gates. We're demolishing the strongholds of the enemy. We're overcoming. Why have we been lulled into a defensive strategy when it comes as long as I'm okay, as long as my house is okay, as long as my health is okay, as long as my provision is okay, as long as I'm okay and I make it to the other side. But God's intent is that we demolish the strongholds of the enemy. We're not fighting a defensive battle here. We should be aggressively fighting against the forces of the enemy that are ensnaring people, that are keeping them from God's highest and best for their lives. Be strong. Be resolved. Understand who you are. Recognize what your identity is. Recognize who it is that you're connected to. Wear your colors publicly. Be the people of God. Amen? Will you stand with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, all that you have called us to do, truly, Lord, in our natural being dear god we find ourselves very deficient dear god but if we will see with heaven's eyes and understand the provision that's been given dear god we will understand that in christ you are more than enough dear god in christ you have made us overcomers in christ your lord we can destroy what keeps people in bondage and what ruins their lives dear god we can break the cycle of of uh, addiction, dear God. We can break the cycle of abuse, dear God. We can break the cycle of poverty. God, we can break the cycle of bondage, dear God. We can break the cycle of anxiety, dear God. We can break the, the cycles, dear Lord, that ensnare people and entrap them for life if we only will. And God, this morning... My prayer is that we as a people say, Lord, I will. I will. And we will. In Jesus' name. Lord, whatever situation, whatever circumstance that it stands, that, that presents itself to us, my one prayer for us is this, Lord. Lord, that we can have the assurance that you will be with us because in you, dear God, we have more than enough. And we give you the praise and the glory for that.